episode 236, Brentford and Burnley. Uh, I've long given up trying to have any real sense of control over a dual game episode uh, because we inevitably Uh end up flitting between the two anyway. I'm just going to get that out there right away. Uh, If you're looking for the kind of structured approach that we have uh, in a regular podcast with just one game, this is the wrong episode for you, as will the next about half a dozen as Christmas comes <laughs> as, uh, and the last three, I think, is probably... It's Reign Supreme. Yes, uh, Chaos does currently Reign Supreme. And it's not just here, um, because although I feel yesterday's result was really poor, um, we've had quite a few wild results in the last week or so of Premier League football. Uh, Arsenal had to wait until I think it was the 97th minute to scrape a win uh, at Luton 4-3. We've had Fulham put five past Forest and then promptly go and do the same thing this weekend uh, against West Ham, which is absolutely mental. Uh, We've had Aston Villa take six points off of Manchester City and Arsenal at home, 1-0 apiece. Uh, We've had Manchester United, who are in absolute shambles, both get dicked by Bournemouth at home and obviously beat Chelsea anyway. Uh, we've had just some wild results, haven't we? Uh, Sheffield United picking up a win at home to Brentford as well. Uh, we've had Luton scare the hell out of Manchester City today as well. We've had Everton put two past Chelsea and look relatively comfortable from what I've heard. Uh, you know, on, on the face of things, we're just another result amongst all the others, aren't we, with a 1-1 draw and arguably we're... We're a lot better off than some of these people, i.e. Manchester United and Chelsea. It's been an absolutely mental week of football, and we're only just starting the Christmas period, fellas. Like, what is what is going to go on here in the next couple of weeks? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we won't concede a goal in a game. That would be the wackiest thing possible, wouldn't it? Well, that, uh, I mean, that's you've immediately gone too far. Yeah, probably <laughs> pushing it a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think especially after this last game right well i think everyone's fairly frustrated that we couldn't beat burnley at home i mean you have you have you have to win that game don't you but then i look at it from the other standpoint it's everything you've said in that this is not this is not something that's not predictable league at this particular moment in time everything is just thrown out the window at the moment i think the first sort of signs you had of that as well is a lot of the lot of the sides that are competing in europe at the moment are really struggling with their Premier League form. I think Newcastle's the one that really stands out to me. I mean, they're sort of struggling now in Europe, struggling now with their games in the Premier League. And now it seems to just be, it's just evolving for everyone else as well. Um, so when you look at it in that regard, we have we are decimated by injuries, absolutely decimated. I know we all know that. But then you look at this last week and you go, well, we've walked away with four points out of six. We've half the squads uh, getting massages and in you know recovery boots that's okay like that's okay i think we still sit eighth in the league there are depending on what happens in this spurs newcastle game um we could hypothetically be two points from fifth when you look at it like that you go all right oh by the way we could also go through first in our european group so it's like with all the wackiness that's going on with all the silliness we're still there. And that's that's what I'm thinking about as opposed to dwelling on the fact that we probably should have beaten bloody Burnley about 4-0. It was just the, yeah, it's, the hindsight's lovely, isn't it? I think with 
like yeah just echoing what you said really it's just you you've got a, a whole 11 out with injuries right you're, you're talking 11 12 players at the moment you're playing every three days um you managed to get you know a win against Brentford and we'll get onto that about how easy that seemed um and you know you, you dropped two points against Burnley but it's the same Burnley that went to Sheffield United and beat them 5-0 whilst we drew with Sheffield United so th- this is this is a league where I don't think anything is is taken for granted especially this year especially last year right um yeah you know, coming to this Christmas period like Josh said you're playing every three days everyone's playing every three days um at least now we've got a three-day break and we don't have to fly anywhere or anything like that and, <laughs> and maybe get a day off here and there um, but yeah, some some weird results, and they'll be even weirder over Christmas. I can guarantee it. I think that is the main thing for us too. We've got our last European game at home, and I think Adam, it was you that noted we we don't we don't go north of London until the New Year. Yeah, big London energy. Yeah, yeah, which is which is major major for us though, isn't it? Like that's every little thing helps, and I think that's going to be part and parcel of it. Um, let's talk about this this new tactic that Deserby whipped out over the last two games um, to varying effect. Um, but after after sitting back and watching a little bit more of it, as much as I could to try and understand what was going on, it was almost uh, Pep, his buddy Pep's uh, formation, but doubled up. So he had Baleva play the new John Stones role that we've been seeing a lot. Um, but he also insisted on playing inverted fullbacks uh, like Pep did a year and a half ago, like Deserby kind of made up on the fly at Sassuolo all those years ago. Uh, but instead of them being inverted, it was just straight up inverted into central attacking midfielders as and when possible, uh, which allowed Jack Hinshelwood to get his first goal and Pascal Gross to become the most influential left back of all time over the course of two football games. Um, what on earth is going on here? It was... So Baleba was playing central defensive midfielder. He was playing centre-back, libero, like the full like football manager repertoire. Uh, while we really did have Gross and Hinshelwood both play full-back and central attack in midfield. It was mental. The whole thing was just insane. And I think the biggest thing for me was that Brentford had no idea what was going on. And I, they didn't suss it out over the course of 90 minutes. And Frank is not an idiot. And he's still... He just couldn't understand it. It was it was truly one of the weirdest things to see created and to think of how quick the turnaround was to just make this thing up on the fly. Like it's it's crazy how well Deserby has these guys drilled, isn't it? Uh I still don't really understand what went on. <laughs> I, I know you just described it well, but I feel like I watched that game. I well, if anything, I, I guess I can sympathize with Thomas Frank. I felt I felt like Thomas, I was just watching it and thinking, I don't really know where anyone is actually playing. I think, yeah, you, you were right, right? I think we were all fairly shocked to see Belieber just here and then dropping back into central defence. There was so much movement that, that happened. It felt like everyone was switching positions fairly often. And of course, then when you add the subs in, that then modified things even more. I think we switched tactics at a certain point when the subs came on as well. And I feel like we definitely did that against Burnley. Um I'm pretty sure that towards the end of the game when we made some subs, we we went to a four at the back. I, I just, I have no idea what occurred. Um, but the fact is, Brentford were, I, I know they've been a little bit off the boil lately, but they were just downright abject, weren't they? And But I, I don't know how much of that is due to the tactics that were employed. 
and how much of that was 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 down to them just being rubbish but especially on the left side like our left side i felt like we completely overwhelmed them they had no answer to that that left side grouping and um i, I don't want to you know spoil any discussions that we'll have a little bit later but i feel like there's a, there's one person in this team that enables the fact uh, that we're we're allowed to play in this certain way. We're allowed to mix these tactics up, and people don't get like, massively confused. And and that guy's Pascal Gross, um, and it's just it's unbelievable what he brings to this team, both in terms of mentality, tactics, and then the fact that he's he's sort of dragged this group of players forward in the last two games in order to make things happen as well. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't. I still don't get it either. I can. I could probably watch it for the rest of the day and, and not understand. Um, but, it, but also to 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 Brentford. I think we're talking. You know how good we were, but then also just how bad Brentford were. I think the miss. They're also missing a fair few players as well, right? Um, I think someone on Twitter or whatever. You know, Norgard is probably their 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 metronome um, and, and gets everything else moving. Um, and, and he wasn't available for that game. They've got a few people out, but you, you can only beat what's put in front of you. So, you know, we, we, we tried something just completely bizarre. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I still don't get it, but, um, just, I, I, I'll echo pack a, uh, for, for gross as well from Adam is just, yeah, there's nothing he can't do at the moment, but, um, but also for Hinshelwood as well. It's just a, a very good game for him, obviously, as well. So um, just one of those weird ones where I kind of just watched it and the game just sort of passed me by because I didn't really make sense of it all. <laughs> um, but it's just, yeah, the Mr. Clutch comes up with a with an equaliser four minutes after the penalty and, and we sort of didn't look back. Yeah, let's talk penalty. Um, was it a penalty for you guys? Uh, I think that was probably one of Van Heck's worst games he's had in a while, which is a shame because he's been an absolute colossus in recent weeks for us. And I think we've all been quite happy to to admit we've been proven wrong a little bit when he was very hot and cold uh, at the end of last season. And we were a little bit worried about his viability going forward. Um, but this was very much a cold performance, I think, uh, against Brentford. But I, I'm not entirely sure it was a penalty. and It was a foul. Uh, I think it was a foul, but it seemed like the entire exchange started a little fair bit outside the outside the box. I was curious to find that they went along with it in VAR. Didn't really spend much time on that. What well, what were your thoughts on on that Van Heck in general and and the penalty itself and how big of a miss and Buemo is going to be for Brentford now? It seemed really soft, and that I think just Van Heck has lost his footing and just put an arm out, and I think the. Is it Yanel has, has made a lot out of it? I think it's really soft. Um, I think even if that's a you know the other the other foot, you you think that it's not not really a foul. Um, and the the Embuemo injury is really bad for them as well because he's he's the guy that's scoring the goals at the moment, especially with Tony out. Um, so it's it's kind of a that's a, a really bad loss for them. But I didn't think it was a penalty. I think it's it's soft regardless of who that's for. Um. Yeah, this is where you see the deficiency in, in, in these tactics a little bit, right? Um, Belaber was caught out of position. That was that was the problem that, that caused Van Hecker to have to track back. I'm, I don't really blame Van Hecker here. Um, Belaber was was, push, was pushed up and then he didn't track the guy back. Um, and that's what caused the problem. So he was then, the, the, the group was caught out of position badly. As you saw, Van Hecker then stumbles. I didn't, it just looked like he was trying to hold his hand a little bit. I don't think it was, it was a foul. Um, but what else happens in that position? Like it's sort of, that's what 
just ends up going on, doesn't it? As soon as you do anything to the player in that position, the ref is likely to give something. Um, and look, sure, he's a good player. I, I couldn't care less about Brentford's injuries. Uh, you know, <laughs> it doesn't bother me. I'm not. I don't sympathise with anyone at the moment, given our, our injury slate. My fantasy Premier League cried itself to sleep now. Not as much as mine did uh, today when uh, with no, I, I got screwed by the bald fraud because yeah, I same. I triple captained Harland. Think about that. Yeah, awful. Does that mean you now get a triple captain? Who did you vice? Julian Alvarez with one assist. <laughs> I thought you were going to have at least vice captain Salah. Uh, all right, well, um, yeah, just that's around. how that's how not to play FPL, fellas. Uh, yeah, I would just okay. um, just just do the opposite of what I do. Look at my team each week, and then just put the, <laughs> just the opposite players and captains in, and you'll be fine. Just have you just have you note from the podcast account which transfers you're making each week, so everyone can firmly avoid those transfers. It's probably yeah, I honestly, I've started to get to the point where I think I might do the the complete opposite of what I think is right. Um, and that should serve me fairly well. Yeah, it sounds like it might do. Um, James in the chat, uh, noting that he thinks Blaber will be incredible for us, but he needs a season to bed in, uh, and we won't see the real player until next season. Um, obviously a shame Kaisado didn't give us one more year, but cut that. I mean, you say that, but Kaisado isn't exactly having a good season, is he? I don't know whether that's the Chelsea effect or just the way it's he the is. the Chelsea effect. Who is at Chelsea? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's lovely. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a bit of a soft pen. Um, but like you say, Craig, four minutes later, uh, Pascal Gross steps up uh, alongside the the obvious playmaker in Kauri Mitoma, um, who both really made an absolute like hellscape of a left hand side for that poor t- poor Brentford side. Um, they tried and they did a really good job. To be fair to them, on doubling up on Mitoma every single time. Um, but as soon as he did that it just led to so many openings for pascal gross and we've learned over there the what five six seasons we've been frankly blessed to watch him in a blue and white striped shirt it, you can't give him that much space that often um and you don't hit a ball as sweet as that too often do you unless you are pascal gross i suppose in which one in three shots is hit that nicely um but what a goal to get us back on level terms within four minutes like just outrageous technique. Go on, Craig. Oh, he's, he's just too good, isn't he? I think we, we, we can, the next 45 minutes of this podcast could be about Pascal Gross if you really wanted it to be. Um, but he's, he's just, and, and we've said it before, he's that guy that always pops up when you need him. Like when you need something to happen, when you need a decent finish, when you need a decent cross, when you have to have something that, you know, put it into the mixer. Like, Mr. Reliable, Mr. Clutch, whatever you want to call him. But he always pops up with very important goals. Um, and, and yeah, Adam alluded to it earlier, right? But he's someone that is always on the team sheet. It's someone that isn't rotated as much as maybe any other player is. Um, and it's for a reason. He, he <laughs> drags us through games sometimes. He is that good. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the finish, it's unbelievable. Just it pops up so nice for him and nobody even moved before he even hit the bottom corner. It's makes it look so easy uh scores that goal goes on obviously later in the game to put an amazing ball in for Hitchwood to score and then obviously against Burnley assist the goal for Adingra um I tell you also one of the things that I was delighted about was 
the game against Burnley, didn't we? Uh, yeah, that was it. Buena Notte came on in the 85th minute. And then we got a free kick in like the 86th minute uh, yesterday. I was so, I feel bad. Obviously, I don't I don't want Dunk to be off the pitch. But as soon as I saw Gross step up, I thought, oh, thank God. We can actually just have someone strike the ball properly. And he did. He brought a save out of the keeper, didn't he? Um, so, no, I don't know. He's just, this is, again, I know we said this before, but this is a guy who really, let's, let's be honest, 18 months, two years ago, I want to say at this point, under Potter goes through this like horrible felt like forever span of games we just wasn't there it just wasn't on it and there were lots of discussions ourselves included when I was it is it time for him to go go out to pasture a little bit um and I mean most important and best player of of, of this team uh, I don't really at the moment I know you, you we talk about Matome we talk about some others but after the last few weeks and his performances, he's he's just. I'll put it this way: I would like to modify um, my call for who is going to be the uh, what was the term that you coined here? I decided to say that the talisman of the team this year. The talisman, yeah. I was a bit Milner, so again, similar to fantasy Premier League, just do the opposite. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Pascal Gross first, second, and third, isn't it? You know, it's funny because uh, I got that term from a podcast that I listened to called who got the assist. Um, and they were the entire reason I started this podcast actually. Uh, Cause they like, we're talking about how easy it was to start one. And I was like, I'll be an idiot and try. They do a fantasy premier league one. And uh, they actually wrote up and it was the first time I think they really went like viral and started getting like a lot of listeners. Uh, they wrote up their own article and it was called the talisman theory. And it was literally all due to Pascal Gross's first season in Brighton's Premier League season, right? And how important one singular player can be on a Premier like a fantasy Premier League perspective for a football team. Uh, but just then in general, obviously, they're able to do all the rest of it. And it's so funny that we're now looking at 2023, like six, seven seasons later, and we're now still talking about Pascal Gross. Outrageous. Like, it's just insane. And it feels a bit sad for Dunk, really, because obviously he's the captain. He's excellent. But like right now, if if we went down this year, like I don't even know how that physically would happen. But like say we went down this year, like something went mental. Like and you were like, well, who was the best player of the Premier League era for Brighton? Like unfortunately, Lewis, like I don't think you're going to get many votes because I think everyone and their mum is picking Pascal Gross, aren't they? Like it, it's just impossible not to at this point. In terms of influence and I think attacking returns as well, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just, it's it's incredible how, and Adam, like you said, just the, the peaks and troughs of, of his sort of tenure. Um, but we're we're in this sort of patch here where he's just indispensable, even when he's sort of, I say, getting on a bit, right? Like, that's a little bit rude, but like, he's, he's going sort of past that sort of peak, but he gets called up by Germany. He's like the first name on the team sheet. He scores assisting like nearly every game at this point um, and and being able to influence games and move them in the direction we need them to. Europe, domestic, whatever. Um, unbelievable player. And I think, yeah, if if Dunk deserves a statue, then I think Gross would be alongside it, right? It's just in terms of influence. I mean, when does he even fall off, right? Like, it, it's like every every attribute he has that makes him who he is and how special he is, none of them are going to be the ones that drop off with age, yeah, right? Just suited like, to longevity. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I just think you're going to it will it will limit his um sort of jack in the box kind of that's not jack in the box joker of the pack is the phrase I want in terms of like where he's now he's playing left back right back right wing back all, all over the place I think you'll you'll see it then condense into basically he sort of has to become a deep lying playmaker in the middle um and that's fine uh and, and maybe you get a little bit of Milner esque. Uh, feeling from him where sort of Milner sort of wants to play there, but we still shove him out left because he can run and he's not very fast, but he's got a good engine on him. You might get a little bit of that out of him. Um, yeah, it's 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 ridiculous the quality that he has, isn't it? And that's the thing, that's the word, is it's quality. Um, every time a game is stuck at 1 1, 2 2, and we get the ball, we've got 80% possession, and the ball said, I want the ball at Pascal Gross's feet. Um, and if it's not at his feet, I want it out wide to Matoma. And that's that's testament to the quality, isn't it? Three million pound, by the way. feel like I've said that sentence in about like those three words in like 100 podcasts of 236, but three million quid. How many grosses that's... for one Anthony? <laughs> You'll have to get your calculator out for that, Let's but that's see, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> how, how much did they buy him for? What was the? What was it the was answer? a lot of money. I'm not sure how many, but it was a lot. It was like 85, I think it was, or like even like those touts. 82 100. million pounds, and you said uh, you said uh, Pascal Gross. What was it? Three. Three million. Yeah. Uh, I know we're not adjusting for inflation, but you could have <laughs> a 27 man squad of Pascal Grosses <laughs> instead of one Anthony. And and he can literally play in every position anyway, so that would genuinely <laughs> work. Anthony can't even play in his main position. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, insane. Um, obviously, half time comes around, uh, and I think Brentford made a couple of changes. Obviously, Embraimo coming off with the with the really bad injury, and I think we had a couple of others come on. Um, but just after half time, always a nice time to score, uh, and it's that man again, Pascal Gross, with an absolutely unbelievable ball in to Jack Hinshelwood, who. Deserby has been like gushing over over the last seven days as well. Like I think we've got to have a bit of an in-depth conversation on on Mr. Jack Inchelwood because he's not only come in and really started to adapt well to this system, right? Like he did all right against Athens. Uh, he had a rough time of it at Chelsea, but like as he gets it as he's getting in, he's getting more and more comfortable. And um, Deserby said that he thinks he's going to be his next Pascal Gross. Um, and then also talked about him being Pascal Gross's son. Not sure what kind of accusations are being thrown out here by Roberto, but, you know, I, that's none of our business, whatever he wants to do. Um, but it's just, there's a lot of love for Jack Hinchelwood from De Zerbe. Um And after we've just had a eight-minute, like, loving session over Pascal Gross, it's quite serious praise, isn't it, for an 18-year-old kid to be told by his manager that you're essentially the next talismanic figure of his football club yeah it's and it's that feel-good factor as well the whole goal and just you know we talk about all the wonder kids you bring in and bits and pieces um but yeah he's he's doing well right like you you you, you drag him to the summer series and questions are being asked like this 18 year old that's never been in the first team at all um is suddenly coming on a you know, a preseason tour to to a different continent. So there's clearly something there, even preseason, but sort of slowly bedding him in and and having having him play not in his right position, right? I think people he's obviously versatile, but he can um he can play right back, he can play centre mid, he can play it sort of anywhere at the moment. I think that's 
probably where the gross links come from, right? Is being able to be adaptable and versatile. So, um, and he's just able to be in the right place at the right time. You saw at Brentford as well, just going from from one end of the pitch to the other. Um, you know, the, the clearance off the line is just you know, being able to be in the right place and and know where you need to be, um, and also be able to bang a header in the bottom corner. So he's he's got it right, and I think everyone is sort of filling in with confidence at the moment as well, being able to to have that player come on as well. Um, exciting! It's very exciting, especially for someone homegrown, as you say. He's a very willing runner, isn't he? And you'd expect that just given his youth. And, and you're right, like he's played in a variety of positions, even just in the the handful of games that he's played so far for us. Um, one thing I've noticed even you know, in the last game and a half is his ability, and I'm not just talking about the goal, his willingness to get into the opposition box um, as a runner. Um, and this is a guy, frankly, that's basically playing right wing back for, for the most part. Um, that Like, there is a guy ahead of him. It should be a dingra. Like someone else is further up, but he's he's not afraid to get in there and get on the end of crosses. And we sometimes have missed that. Um, and then he's obviously got the, the the speed and energy to then just get back up the other end of the pitch. So he's um, yeah. I mean, I didn't think we'd be trying to rely on a Jack Hinchwood at his age this season, but needs must when it comes down to injuries. I, I want to if 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 you're Give me a pivot very quickly. I want to talk about Igor because I tell you what, I've been, well, I don't know why it wasn't playing as soon as he signed. Not only does he look like a superhero, but he's playing incredibly well, like really well. Like, I, I, no, no offense to him, but Adam Webster's in the absolute rear view mirror for me at this point. He is. Yeah, he is good. I think just, he has the unfortunate thing of just coming in and maybe just being too recent or, or being one of the latter centre-backs to come in that you're just naturally behind Dunk and Van Hecker's been playing out of his skin barring the last sort of couple of games where he's had a hiccup. So you've got centre-backs that are playing really, really well and he's just, he's just at the back of the line at the moment when he, he doesn't deserve to be. I think you, you, you see him come on at Burnley as well put in a decent few tackles. He's so good at coming forward and his passing is really good. Um, you've got some serious centre-backs there and I think we, we spoke about it last week, Josh, with, with Robin as well, that you've got Dunk, Van Hecke, Igor. It's like, who do, you, who do you choose? And, you know, poor old Webster as well is way out in the field at the moment considering how good those three are playing. I mean, yeah, like Webster's done, right? Like, I, I don't think it's time to like look for another club in January because otherwise if we do every single centre-back in the squad will be come down with like some sort of flu for five weeks, but like he's got to stay. But I, I, and I think that Adam, we've talked about it ad nauseum really that Adam Webster is probably one of the biggest losers from losing Potter and getting a hold of Deservey. Um, and I don't think anything is changing that. I think it's looking more and more to be the case. Um, if there's one of the names that is probably top of the list, right. That will be leaving in, in the summer. It's got to be Adam Webster, just for his sake and ours, really, don't you think? Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, you probably look at bringing another depth signing, someone else that's that's just maybe a little bit more reliable. Um, and because when you need to turn to someone when Dunk is out or whatever happens, um, you can't have a guy that feels like he's a bit perpetually injured. But again, if we give him the kiss of death here, he's going to come back and have some renaissance, isn't he? So, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I, th I think 
it's funny when you said you've got you've got van hecker dunk Igor, x y and z like who do you pick obviously we we go to this three at the back i think the funny part is if you actually look at the heat maps for burnley our deepest player outside of bartford brigham was was belabor um so you know it sort of speaks to speaks volumes about how how deserve he is really like making use of all these players in weird and wonderful ways in which i think if if you asked anyone two games ago you know who'd be our deepest closest to the goalkeeper player throughout a game and it's carlos belaber i don't think we would have predicted that so who knows who knows who he picks and who's going to play where i honestly wouldn't be shocked if we just saw like Milner play centre back at some point soon, depending on injuries. It's just it's weird and wonderful, but sort sort of works, doesn't it? Like could have, of course, you you expect the goal against Burnley, but if you look at the stats for all intents and purposes, like what we had twenty nine shots against Burnley. So this is very easily a conversation. We'll be coming to this week. Like two important games, you very well should have walked away with six points if if you look at everything that we did, and we played. Two, Tactics that we've basically not really employed, players in positions they've not played in, that's massive. Like that's that says a lot. You'd you'd expect pure capitulation in, in any other scenario. Yeah, I think you're right. Um let's also talk about another player that I think really deserves it. Um, and that is the player that has the fourth most amount of minutes in this team than anyone else. Above him. Uh, Mitoma, Gross, and Dunk. Do you want to have a guess who that fourth most minutes played is? Adingra. Yeah. This guy came from USG last year, obviously, who where he was on loan. Um, I'm not even sure where he came from before that. Does anyone know off the top of their heads before I look into it? It was a, a Danish team, wasn't it? They picked him up from the Right to Dream Academy in Africa. Um, You're right. I think that was wow. it. I can't remember the name, but... Um, I wouldn't be able to say it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to try and butcher it, but you're spot on. Uh, Yeah, yeah. took took a bit of a Brentford signing, Um, but he's played more minutes than anyone else, uh, other than those three names, and quite significantly too. The next one below him is over a hundred minutes behind him. Um, Next to no Premier League experience, he tore up the Belgian Premier League, but there's only so much you can make of that, right? Like there's, there's other players that have done superbly well in there and been crap. And there's team, there's players that have been frankly bang average Mitoma, who has now destroyed the Premier League. Um, so it's tough to know what's going to come from him, but uh, he was the one that stepped up for, for the equalizer. Uh, we talk about Pascal Gross stepping up with the, with the excellent cross and it was, but Simon Adingra as, had a rough time of it. He wasn't expecting to be given this level of responsibility. I don't think anyone expected him to. Um, but January is fast approaching and Adinga is going to be gone for a month. We're going to miss him, aren't we? Like, I, I can't believe that we're in a situation where we're thinking, holy shit, what do oh, we do without Adinga? I totally forgot about that. You're welcome. Yeah, it's always a curse. I mean, it was Basuma before and now it's Adinga. Yeah, okay, thanks for that. And Mitoma. He's gone for the Asian. Oh, perfect. We don't need wingers. It's overrated. <laughs> yeah, Adinga and Mitoma will both be going. One to Africa, one to the Asian. And I suspect Balaba too, right? Yeah. Uh, does he play at 19 years of age? That was going to be my question. That I'm not sure if he's being regularly picked. Uh, Cameroon? But the other two are. Let's hope he isn't. 
<laughs> got a dozen injuries as it is. We don't need to lose three more. Are you joking? Yeah, no offense, Carlos. I know it'd be a great opportunity, but like, no. <laughs> yeah, maybe Please. next time. You're 19, son. Like, sit this one out. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's been very impressive, hasn't he? Like, I think I think Albion Analytics even put something out about an hour ago how he's got a, um, a goal or assist every 163 minutes. Um, absolute boatload of dribbles, and and you see that just by watching him. Right, he's he's getting involved. He's putting a bunch of crosses in, tons of touches. I thought he was. <laughs> having said all that, I thought it was crap against Brentford. Um, <laughs> his uh, his his first touch was awful. Um, and uh, a few basically just completely wasted situations. But then I thought it was I thought it was really impressive against Burnley. Um, uh, and you can see that if you look at the stats, his, his like pass accuracy against Burnley was ninety plus percent. Um, uh, and then if you look at it against Brentford, he was down at seventy six percent. It wasn't his best game, but we're we're, we're throwing him to the wolves. Um, and the fact is, I mean, he's outside of just the odd sort of performance where you're like, oh, that wasn't that great. He's he's dangerous, incredibly dangerous player. He's got a better shot on him that he's got any right to have. Um, and kid hasn't even grown into his body yet. Uh, like you could see that, but he's he always looks like he's going to beat his man. Um, and between him and and then Matoma on the other side, but it's that like, you're really keeping those 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 ring wing backs on their on on their toes. Um, he's 21. Like it's exciting to think about what he can be like when he's actually like played more than what. 15, 16 games for this club. Four goals and an assist already. Not bad, is it? Not bad at all. Uh, Toby saying we need in CISO and March back. Well, you may as well forget the name Sonny March. Toby for yeah, a while. March is gone, gone. He's done, done. Yeah, he's. we're not going to be seeing him for quite a while. I, Didn't he have two I surgeries? Yeah, I think he has, yeah. Um, so he's done for a little while. Uh, Toby also in the chat talking about Deserby's body language on the sideline saying that if the Champions League comes knocking, he's probably bouncing. Um, I wouldn't pay too much attention to body language. It's deserving. Um, he sometimes is absolutely delighted and like complains. And then other times he's like really upset and like, he seems delighted. So I won't worry about body language. Um, I think let's just wait and see when that, when that new contract formulates, if it does, um, we've got, all the way until the summer to get this contract extension done um, because it's a not so much like well-kept secret that he's got a clause that he can't leave mid-season. Probably smartly implemented given the Potter situation. Um, But I think a lot of very reliable blue ticks have all basically came to the same conclusion that he can't leave until the summer. Um, So we basically got him tied down until the summer to get this new deal over the line. And from everything you've heard, it sounds like, Tony Bloom and Paul Barber are two of the best salespeople in terms of representing the club you could ask for. So if he wants to sign, uh, I think I think we'll keep him for a little bit longer. Um, Mikey as well in the chat. Uh, I, I would love to hear more from Toby and James if you were there yesterday. I had uh, the day from hell yesterday, so I did not get to attend the Burner game. Uh, and that was before even attending the Burnley game. I didn't get to attend because it was just such a shit show. So uh, we got to London on Friday, went to see a comedy show. And from midnight onwards, it was just such a disaster that we ended up just going home halfway. Through comedy of errors. It was a comedy of errors. The only good thing was the comedy show, basically. Um, but Mikey wants to talk about the atmosphere on Saturday. Uh, it was mostly rocking last season, but Saturday against Burnley was one of the one of the worst I've ever seen at the Amex. Defo had an impact on the players in the first half. 
first of all, Toby, James, Stephen, anyone who was there in the chat or just listening in, um, hop on the chat. Let us know what you thought of the atmosphere yesterday at the Amex. There was a lot of empty seats, um, I will say, both Wednesday and Saturday. Uh, but I think it's really important to note the things that people are being put up against here. Um, now I'm home and enduring the same shit show as everybody else. It's easier for me to see it. And there was no trains at all on Wednesday. Wednesday was a mess. Total, total shit show. Um, all the trains are on strike in Southern. So there was no way through. Yesterday, there was flooding at Falmer. So they ended up not being able to send through the minuscule amount of trains that were going to go through until much later on in the day anyway. Um, they added buses. My sister went to get on the first bus she got to. It broke down there in the bus stop. So that screwed 50, 60 people trying to get there. Um, if I had to be honest, if you are a person that is making this effort to get there and going through all this drama and frankly, like shit situation, right? Like it's not fun. No one's having a fun time doing this. You get to the Amex and you sit down and you're just fucking tired. Like I know I have been like, you just, you're already tired and the game hasn't even kicked off. Um, from another thing as well, Stephen said, it's also Christmas time. People are tight for money. We've got Marseille on Thursday. People may have prioritized going to Marseille, which is absolutely understandable. It could be our last ever European game in a group stage ever at the Amex. Like it could be at one of mil millions Like we don't know. So a lot of people are going to prioritize that. You've got game after game after game. You've got Arsenal, you've got Palace. There's a lot of games coming up. I, th I think it's a bit harsh to really slate the Amex atmosphere yesterday or Wednesday. Um, I think there's a lot of outside issues going on in the last 10 days, mainly around transportation. And I think it's a little bit harsh to give them a lot of shit. It's never been amazing, is it? Let's be honest with ourselves. Like, it's not like a cauldron. Um, I'd probably imagine for most of their away teams, they come to, to Brighton and they're like, no, it'll be, be all right, wouldn't it? Um, there'll be a bit of jeering. And then we'll sort of have a fairly pleasant experience. Uh, I mean, you can look at the home form. Outside of Europe, uh, we obviously beat Brentford this week, but before we hadn't got three points at home before that since Bournemouth, 24th of September. So uh, it, it, it's, not really, it's not really a place where I guess the, the crowd is doing much to bring everyone, push the players on. It's not that. It's not, it's not a, Trying to say it's not an Anfield. It's not. I'm trying to think of all those other places where you've got you you, you viscerally feel the crowd. It's never it's never been that, right? I mean, I, I'm not saying anything out of turn here. It's never been that. Um, is it is it more quiet? I don't know. I'm not there, but based on what Mikey and Co are saying, you guys that go week in week out, um, may, yeah, maybe it's a bit worse at the moment. I will say just to counter everything that I've just said, like what what more do we want from the players in that second half against Burnley? Like they came out in the second half and just in the second half had 19 shots, seven corner kicks, five free kicks, multiple like big chances, 16 shots inside the box in the second half, 75% um, possession and an XG of 2.1. Like it, it could be a fucking library. That's still good. Um, 
Uh, so, you know, how important is it? Is it going to change? I don't know. But if we put another ball in the back of the net there, I don't think it's a discussion point, right? I don't think it's anything to do with the, I guess, the performance or anything like that, right? This, the the attendance is it's probably just down to fatigue, right? There's a, there's a hell of a lot of games. You just had a home game on Wednesday. You now need to go there on Saturday again. Both of those times have been an absolute mess in terms of transportation, etc., I wouldn't forgive a couple of people if they went, actually, I'm probably just going to pass on that one. And like Josh said, I'll just go next Thursday, right? Because going going every other week is one thing, but going to two home games in three days is is another, right? It's it's hard. Times are, times are tough. Money's tight. Christmas time, two games in three days. It's an absolute nightmare to get to the ground anyway. Um, I'll just go on Thursday. Um, and I don't begrudge some people taking that in in that way um you know typically a home game is every two weeks right so two and three days is a little bit much um and like you said adam it's nothing to do with the performance whatsoever you know xg of 2.1 in 45 minutes of football it is good and you know, we we huffed and we puffed and we we tried to get the result at the end there especially at burnley it's nothing to do with the performance we're still playing really well with a dozen injuries so it's nothing to be nothing to be concerned about and I think, like you said, anyway, like it's not exactly like it's a, a devilish place to come in the first place. Let's keep on the bad <laughs> while we're at it um, and talk about two players that really stood out like a like a pair of sore thumbs, really, in terms of just looking totally. I see where this is going. Uh, and unfortunately, they were both uh, present on Saturday instead. Uh, a returning Mahoud Dahoud. He looked like every piece of improvement he had slowly picked up over the course of the last couple of months has gone by the wayside uh, and just looked like a just a shocking Premier League player. Um, and everyone's best friend, James Milner, um, who for the most part in that first half uh, and most of the second really while he was still on, uh, was a solid reason why Bernie presented so much threat. They targeted him. Uh, they scored thanks to him and his poor defending. Uh, I think it actually deflected off of him as well. Um, I like it, if there's ever an argument to not give Deserbi a new contract, it's playing him at right back. I think I think he should just possibly fire him on the spot if he does it again. I don't know what it's about. And it's we well, was yeah. left wing back, wasn't he, against Burnley? Yeah, uh, the James Milner thing, right? We we talked about it half to death. His his role for me is coming on with 20 minutes to go to shore up the defence and just give us a little bit of energy and see off the game in a very veteran way, right? That that seems like the best place for him. Um, but it's the the Dahoud thing is weird, right? I like I like Dahoud. I think we were saying in the chat, like trying to like him and try to enjoy what he is. I think Dahoud and Belaba in the middle is a very good idea. I think a, a silky passer with a combative midfielder feels like the right thing um however Dahoud is not doing himself any favors by regressing as Josh has said in in some ways um and maybe picking up a little bit of rust because he hasn't played for a few games right and it's just not somebody that type of player is not something that we can carry as a team and, and not see it very evidently um so needs to be better the Milner thing, again, talked about it half to death. The Dahoud thing is concerning. Um, we know the qualities that he has. He's just not showing them. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, he's, he's, he wasn't good. He wasn't good. Um, uh, Milner, oh, I, I don't even know if I'd have called out Milner. I thought you were going to say Lalana, but um, you know, I think at the whole time, there. Yeah, I, I, having said that, there was a passage of play in the first half where it, it honestly it looked like total football, Cruyff era Netherlands play. With Lalana being involved in that, where it just felt like these intricate little passes and then nearly resulted in something capable of that, but he's just. It, it, he didn't really do a ton. He was really pushed up Lalana. Like tactically, we were fairly. I mean, it was really aggressive against Burnley. Like we were really aggressive. Dahoud was incredibly deep, but didn't do anything to actually sort of quote unquote like quarterback things. You would expect when you play there, you should be pinging out passes and doing something more, and he just just didn't. Um, but yeah, Milner, we were we were so left side centric. Like if you go and look at where everyone was positioned everyone was on the left and then it was just a dinger on his own on the right hand side everyone was on the left Lalana was drifted over to the left obviously we know Jao Pedro was playing out left Pascal Gross was left side bias like everyone was was slanted over there um but I don't know maybe that doesn't play into how Dahoud wants to play like he's, he just as you say every every step forward he takes it feels like he takes a step back and, and right now for me he's sort of the last person I want to see on the like I'd rather see I'd just rather Hinshelwood like anyone else. I'd, I'd rather see play over to who right now, um, and I think probably the same with probably the same with with Milner. Um, and when you bring on uh, Billy Gilmore right at half time, he was one of the and and Kyrie Matoma. Different game, completely different game, uh, and I'd rather see that. I know people have been a little bit annoyed at Gilmore recently. I still. I still think the positives outweigh the negatives in his game. Uh, his ceiling is so high. He got away with a few passes at Brentford. I think there was like I, I, I'm not saying I'm not dissing him at all. I, I want Gilmore to start because I think he's fantastic. And like you said, the ceiling is unparalleled, right? But uh, there was there was a few moments in that Brentford team where if they weren't so abject, we probably would have been in trouble. Um, so one of those games where we. We were able to get away with it, but there was a, a few wayward passes there from Gilmore that was uncharacteristic. But again, I'm I'm highlighting something in a win against Brentford. So like it, how bad can it be? Um so you're right, but can I undermine you with data? Like absolutely. everyone loves I uh, I, I enjoy that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's perfect, isn't it? He was <laughs> he, he had a ninety one percent pass accuracy, fourth highest in the in on the team. Uh yeah. Three key passes, highest on the team. Um Six crosses, highest on the team. Uh, no one else had more than two. Three accurate crosses, higher than anyone else. Accurate long balls, five out of five. Uh, he's, I think he when he makes a mistake, to, to agree, I agree with you, by the way, when he makes a mistake, it looks bad because it feels like when he makes the mistake, because he's playing that role right in the middle, yeah. you lose the ball. It's like, oh, crap, we're so pushed up. Gilmore's done it again. Van Heck is like uh, our position, all of that stuff, and it looks awful. Outside of that, he's he's just so good when he doesn't do that. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's the, my take the, on the pros outweigh the cons there, right? I, there's no doubting like his his passing ability is great. I think it's you get into that sort of goalkeeper mentality where a mistake is a lot worse if if Billy Gilmore does it than maybe a winger does it or someone more pushed up does. Yeah, um, yeah. It just it leaves you more exposed. But he rarely does it. I think it was, there was a couple of times where I think a better team could have punished us there. But we were just quite fortunate that Brentford just weren't at the races. 
Agree. Let's talk one more bad thing, uh, and it's related to Stephen's comment in the chat about Spider-Man in goal. Uh, James Trafford signed after Barclay Brugan signed for Brighton for Burnley. Uh, so inevitably, he was about to have the game of his life. Um, 21 years old. He's played every game this season, uh, cutting his teeth at the highest level. Um, he's conceded a lot of goals, uh, but I'm sure he's learned an awful lot. He has a high calibre, right? He's played at the very highest level in terms of youth football at his nation. Won the Euro 21s, I think it was, last year without conceding a single goal uh, and was instrumental in that, at least in the final. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Brighton played Bart Berbrugin yesterday after playing Jason Steele for two games before that, playing Bart for two games before that, playing Jason three games before that, and Bart for two more before that. Uh, and that's true. I just looked them up. Um this is uh, an older goalkeeper whose shot percentage is in the bottom half of all goalkeepers in the Premier League in Jason Steele uh, with one of the best pass accuracy rates in, in the goal. Like is basically an outfield player level of, of excellency. Um, but we've also got a 21-year-old, also elite goalkeeper at his level. Uh, he played in that same tournament as Trafford and even though they didn't win it, he came out looking like a million dollars. He's the it's the reason why so many clubs are interested in him, uh, and two went hell for leather to get him. Um, this is another conversation that's done to death. Uh, but we're now having Bart Verbruggen back in goal. It's never. It's just bizarre that we're continuing this. It's now December the tenth, and we are continuing to rotate our goalkeeper every two to three games. Not cup goalkeepers, not first choice goalkeepers, no injuries. We are doing something that no club has ever done that I can remember at type top level history and rotated and basically had two first choice goalkeepers. And we have not kept a clean sheet in the Premier League this season. Do you think they're related? Do you think that this is going to be good? Like, do you want this to continue going forward? Like, do you think this is as big a deal as I think it is? Because I hate it. And I'm starting to lose my shit seeing it every three weeks. Like, just pick one and go with it. Even though I want Bart to be it, I'd rather you pick Jason and stick with it than, like, do this. Because I think it is having an effect. Yeah, I do. I think we've, we've like you said, we've, we've talked about this so many times. Um, but it's just the level of rotation just equals inconsistency for me, right? It's not the... The goalkeeper rotation has more of an effect than the defensive rotation does. Like you can put Van Hecker, Igor, Dunk, Webster, you know, those four can switch around. You can put Veltman in that mix as well. And and you can rotate that as much as you want. That will have a minimal effect slash moderate, but also not sticking with the goalkeeper when you're doing so much defensive rotation is having an impact, right? As long as the goalkeeper is staying the same, you can rotate in front of him. Um, but by rotating the goalkeeper as well as the defense, you're you're adding another variable into that mix um, and, and just consistently rotating around. And I do think it's having an effect. Um, I agree with you. I think we should just choose one and stick with them. You can have one Europa FA Cup goalkeeper. You can have one league goalkeeper and maintain the level of consistency at, at some level. Right. You've, you've got a dozen or so injuries as well. It's very difficult to do that. But the one position that we can stick with, we are also not sticking with. Um, so that's a, an active choice um, as opposed to a necessity. So, yeah, I like I said, we, we've spoken about it a lot, but just one goalkeeper, please. And just have a, a cup goalkeeper um, or, or something like that. 
Yeah, it feels like it feels like Deserbi might be out thinking himself a little bit on this one, doesn't it? Like uh maybe he feels like he owes steel for last season. Maybe he feels like Verbruggen is not ready yet to 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 have a full slate of games. Um I think that the thing where and I'm leaping to a conclusion here, I don't know whether this is, you know, completely uncorrelated, but that that horrible like out of the blocks play that we have every single game, it feels like we're either it's the first five minutes or the first 20 minutes where we're just not at the races at all. Um, misplaced passes. It looks like we're completely on the back foot. I, you can't help but think maybe the person that's controlling all the, the gameplay in the way, in this, the way the system works, yeah, maybe just is trying to get a feel for the game. Is like, oh, hold on, who am I? I'm playing. Am I today? Yeah, for Brugge, Bart, you're out. Okay, who's my who's my defense? Oh, Belieber's actually going to be your deepest centre back today. What? Uh yeah. Uh, how do I do that again? Like, where's he going to be? Oh, you're playing at a three at the back instead of a four at the back today. Well, hold on, I haven't played for two weeks. In the last two weeks, we had like five different players playing in these positions and playing completely different formation. That's got to be hard. How old's Verbruggen? Like seven years old. Like that's difficult. For, for anyone to figure out, even if you're incredibly experienced, um, given the importance of, of the goalkeeper on the team. Um, and look, if he if he's trying to emulate Guardiola or, or do whatever, like one one thing you give Guardiola is that if Edison plays, Edison plays, um, and, unless, you know, they're lobbing out a cup goalkeeper. And, and yeah, I, I would like to see some consistency there. It's a clean, it's a clean sweep from us, but um yeah, I'm sure what we do is when he does move to just having one goalkeeper, we still have these same problems. We'll be like, ah, oh, we were wrong. I would at least, I would at least like to know, though. I really would. Um, yeah. And just looking at some of the more in-depth stats is not great either. Uh, his, like, for example, uh, in terms of crosses stopped, uh, which is something that we've talked about ad nauseum as well that we're quite weak at. Um, Bart's at eight and a half percent, which is in the top seven. Uh, Jason Steele is 19th uh, with just three. Makes a big difference when you think of how many goals we conceded from that point of view. Uh, Steele's conceded seven more than, than Verbruggen. Uh, we've got some just, it's just not great, guys. <laughs> if you look into it a little bit deeper, uh, there's not there's not some good stuff going on here. Um, it's really poor. Corners, for example, uh, Jason Seals conceded three goals from a corner. Uh, Verbruggen, none. Uh, All the set piece stuff we talk about. I don't blame the keeper for that. Defensively, we are a disaster at corners. Uh, like positioning wise, the, 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 the attacking player always gets their head on the ball. Like, and yeah, you can blame the keeper for not controlling the area there, I guess, but. Uh, there's 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 more to it than that for me, but I I agree with you. Like statistically, the keepers look crap, don't they? Um, I think it plays into one another though. I think if you've got a keeper that is coming and stopping more crosses and not conceding goals from corners at all, like you've got to, I think he is doing just enough at this point to cover the shortcomings of what is piss poor defended at corners and yeah. set pieces, just enough. Whereas Steele hasn't got that dominance of his area. And it's showing because he's conceding goals in that area and he's not stopping crosses anywhere near to a level that any other Premier League keeper is. Like, we're talking, he's 19th. Like, he is amongst the absolute bottom tier of of goalkeepers that can command their area. That's not great in a team with such shit defending marking and, and general, like, cowardliness on the transition. Like, we are just so poor. Like, I think that helps having someone so 
much more in command of their books. How much is this to do with the, the way we play? Because if, if, if you look at the games from this week, I know this is just a microcosm of how everything works, right? But um, Verbruggen didn't, didn't uh, it was Steel, right? Against, I can't forget who played. It was Steel against Brentford. It didn't make a save. It was no set. It didn't make a save, a single save. Um, but somehow ended up with a minus 0 0.01 on, on a goals prevented metric, which is some weird nouveau calculation from some nerd somewhere. And then when you look at um, the Burnley game, right, when Verbruggen's playing, he had two saves uh, with 0 0.1 goals prevented. Uh, conversely, Trafford at the other end had 10 saves with a three goals prevented. So it's almost like, because we have so much possession of the ball, like, I don't know whether it's almost the fact that these keepers like aren't playing every game, then they're not getting too much of a look in in the games where we're, we're like at 80% possession. And all they have to do is every 40 minutes, the other team has a counter-attack and they've got no chance of saving it because we've got one person back there and it's just blasted at them. Um, it's just, a, it's a weird setup. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to sort of make accountability for it. One final one, and I'm going to go deep into this now, and this is going to annoy Adam because he hates the level of stupidity in terms of stats. But in terms of post-shot expected goals minus goals allowed per 90 minutes. What is that? That's not a thing. Essentially, positive numbers suggest better luck or an above-average ability to stop shots. All right? That's basically all it is. The higher the level, the better the goalkeeper in terms of shot-stopping. Right, obviously, all the rest of it, passing and all that shit, doesn't matter. Uh, currently, do you want to guess who's number one? Um, well, I, I still don't understand what on earth this stat is. So, it's the higher numbers better. Post shot, say what is it? Post shot expected goals minus goals allowed. No, I still don't get it. Craig, you can answer. I can't. No, I, I, <laughs> I honestly don't know. But, Vicario, the guy that nobody had ever heard of and right. has like taken Spurs by storm and generally has been like kind of worked out as the guy who's saving their ass a lot with Angie's very uh, unorthodox approach well, sometimes. Right, they're pushed up into the other half so he's better be half decent at saving. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know who else is pushed up in the other half and absolutely shocking on the transition? Well, true. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, guess, and, get, and guess what goalkeeper is 21st out of 21 and by like a scary amount. Jason Steele. And that's just yeah. a fact. Like, it's just the way it is. Bart Verbruggen is 18. He's not much better. But he's in a much more condensed group of names here with Raya, uh, Matt Turner, Edison. Um, we've got a couple of players down there. And unfortunately, state the reason Steele's worth talking about here is that even though he's only a few places lower, he is bottom. And it's by, like, 0.10. <laughs> like it's not good um so yeah i'm not happy with it i want to i want to just start bar and leave it but here we are um all right i think we've covered both games pretty well uh let's cover um our friends and partners at green king um so obviously we are coming into the christmas period 10th of december today uh best way to watch it down at your local greens king sports pub of course Went past a bunch of them yesterday. Um, but after all, Christmas is a time to catch up with friends, old and new. Uh, so get the team to your local for refreshing pints, delicious food and live action of every Christmas cracker. 
love that pun every time I read it out. Uh, every fixture from TNT, Sky, and Amazon, which are rearing their head for just about every midweek game uh, in, in the UK for the next couple of weeks. Uh, Amazon Prime will also be covered. They're all live at Green King Sport. Uh, so that will mean wall-to-wall action on huge HD screens. Uh, so head to your local Green King and watch every winning goal, top bins, volley, and dodgy VAR decision. I'm going to start scrubbing that out, by the way, because we don't need to, we don't need, we don't need to talk about it this week. So like, stop making me bring that up. Um, in an atmosphere worth sharing, yeah. Download the Green King Sport app. You'll receive ten percent of drinks every single time uh, there is sport on the TV. So get down there, get hammered, and have a good time. It's Christmas after all. Um, next up. Marseille and Arsenal back to back, nice and easy. <laughs> um, what are what are we thinking here? Uh, obviously, we rotated uh, a fair bit in the last two games, and it certainly felt like we put out the weaker team against Burnley. Are we expecting to field what would you consider our our stronger side against Marseille, and kind of doing the get same again for Arsenal in terms of giving ourselves a bit of a weakened side? Yeah, I think so. You, you have to go for that Marseille game, don't you? Because winning that game skips another European game, right? So you, you kind of want to go straight into that 16. You want to give yourself a look, as much rest as you can over this period as well. So for me, I would definitely just, I say prioritise. I'd prioritise the, the Marseille game over the Arsenal game. And I think that's that's just my opinion. Being able to finish top of the group has its merits. Um, and we're at home so let's just go for it. I think the the Arsenal game you can rotate. We're, we're Arsenal away, is it? So you know, that for me, that feels like a little bit of a free hit with the injuries that we have. But we can also cause them problems. We always do it over there. So um, Marseille is the the one for me. I think you rotate for Arsenal. Yeah, uh, I agree completely. Um, and then you've also, I know you've got Palace not that long after that, right? But uh, four days after Arsenal. But yeah. they, do, they do get a week. They do get a week after that to recover. I was going to point that out too, because we're about the only team in the Premier League that's going to get a week because they've brought the Palace game forward and pushed the Spurs game back. We've actually been given a bit of a lucky break here, a bit of an early Christmas present, really, to keep on theme. Um, mm. Because that is that is not something that any other team is getting the pleasure of, really. Um, we're very fortunate that we've got a full week of rest over the Christmas period. Yeah, I mean, that's going to hopefully we get some players back. And then it's our favourite time of year. It's going to be the January transfer window. We can speculate on who we bring in um, and it invariably ends up being just no one. Just what a great way to finish. And CISO is going to feel like it, isn't he? In CISO, I feel like it's a long awaited because he the trajectory that kid was on was felt astronomical. And him coming back is going to be going to be special, right? He, he's the most excited I am for a player to come back out of everyone. I, I know other people might say stupid and all that kind of stuff, but and CISO is electric. Um, and that's who you want to bring in for the for the remainder of the season, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to yeah. I, I think if Fatty's going to be out for a few months, like the Zerbi said as well, I still think you need to bring in a winger. Um, I think Jal Pedro 
like for as good as he is, and I know we, we sort of glossed over him these these two games, but I think him out on the left wing yesterday or the, the Burnley game just didn't really work. His natural tendency to come inside before anything is actually on its way um, was, yeah, was not ideal. We know how good he is, but that's not where I would play him. Um, with Fatiao and Ciso going to take some time to get back up to speed. March out indefinitely. Um, Adingra going to Africa, um, Matoma going for the Asian Cup. It feels like the winger area is all of a sudden a real concern for us, um, whilst we had a plethora of options just two months ago. So um, I really hope we bring a winger in at minimum um, just to help alleviate that mess in, in January. Well, it looks like we are definitely very much in pursuit of a uh, football manager legend at this point for 2024. Uh, Valentin Barco is back on the menu, fellas. Um, seems that we are going for him hell for leather. Um, and I think there's a couple, Manchester City amongst them. Uh, if you're listening, Valentin, uh, I would take a look at the last time uh, City gazumped us to a left back and see how old Sergio Gomez is doing uh, as his career slowly dies and withers um, because he can't even get on the bench these days. Um, and you are going to get games uh, if that really shitty picture of us opinions knee in a brace is anything to go by. Um, you are going to get at minimum rotation games, right? Like there's going to be a position that is going to be rotated. Um, I think that if we're going to sign someone, I think it's going to be him. I do worry that it'll be no one else. Um, and I do worry that the argument will be, we don't need a winger. You, we're just bringing in Mazilu, Mazolu, the, the, the fellow from Romania. Um, that they're going to say you don't need to worry about it. You've just got another 18-year-old spawned regen popping in through the system. Um, it's tough, isn't it? Because when everyone's fit, all of a sudden there's a lot of wingers that won't have game time at all. So I'm not sure how they approach that with, with January and experience. And maybe we do something we don't often do and delve back into a loan market. Getting a youngster in January to me is, is utterly pointless. Like, what's a guy that's played, you know, middle of nowhere, never played Premier League football, hasn't even got facial hair, is going to come in in January and, like, will expect something out of, like, on a European football push? I don't... I wouldn't even want them to play any minutes at that point, right? So I'm I'm in the market for someone older when, when we get around to this. Like, we, we need someone with a little bit... You know, someone like a James Milner to come in and really bring some quality. <laughs> I just think that, I, yeah, I don't like Barco great for the future, but as, uh, for me, summer signing, right? Um, even if you buy him now, just so Man City doesn't get him, that's great, but I don't think he sees any minutes. Well, I can think of one person in the final third that we could do with someone that's just doesn't do anything pretty, but just scores goals generally. Um, we've been looking for him for a little while. Obviously, Welbeck will be back, maybe for Palace, I think, to Zerbi said, and frankly, numbers will be helpful at that point. But uh, just like a, you know, a German player, maybe, scoring loads in Bundesliga, um, that, oh, is actually our player that we've just shipped off on loan. Uh, I don't Didn't know he go on a permanent in the end? No, I think, I think there is a, uh, I think there's a possible future fee, um, but I'm not, not 100%... Loan, yeah. Not 100% sure on that. It may even just be like a gentleman's agreement of like possibility of spending that money. Now, there's been two 
schools of thought that no one has ever really been able to confirm amongst the journalists at the Arbion. And one of them is that Undav wanted to go because he wanted guaranteed first-team football, uh, which is entirely fair. Um, and in recent months and weeks, the the story has been more that he was homesick and wanted to go home. If it's the latter, even if he has a recall option, you're not, right? <laughs> There's no way you're going to do that to him. Um, but we also have Sarmiento at West Bromwich Albion that Steve's in the chat's just brought up. Um is it time to bring him back? He's had a couple of injuries at West Brom, um, which seems par for the course for him, but he's impressed every time he's played for them, I think. Well, I'll, I'll look at from a winger standpoint, given our current situation, anyone that has experienced kicking a ball in the Premier League is probably fine at this point, um, just given how bad it potentially could look. Um, especially as you've reminded me and shocked me with the Matoma news and and Adingra stuff, which I'm still not particularly happy about. And the other thing, look, Undev, whatever, the ship is completely sailed for me. Like he's, he's happy. He's out farming again. Like this is, this is his natural home. Like he can't, like it's, I'm good. Best wishes to, to the man. Um, I also, I'm just, I'm still not convinced that, uh, a number nine in this system is the most important thing for us, right? Uh, having a, having someone up top there. Like we've seen Evan Ferguson doesn't get a look in when he plays at the moment a lot of the time. Yes, he's got his quality for for for, for scoring, but what what did he do yesterday? Frustrated, uh, wasn't he? Very frustrated. Nothing. Got no service, completely bogged down in the game. Nothing tight defence in the centre, nothing going. The ball was forced out wide constantly. And then when we put crosses in, we completely scuffed one and actually probably stopped us from scoring because there was two people behind him that probably could have slotted home. So I don't know. I did, it's That's not that's not the priority for me. I know we're going to probably talk about 400 hours about this stuff, aren't we, Craig? Yeah, but, but for once, it feels like we're not talking about a striker like we, we we know that we have one it's just providing the service or playing in a system that is going to suit him at the moment like you said we're being pushed so far out wide and just going for the the potluck cross in and and just you know hope that Ferguson gets on the end of it you do a stark contrast to that Newcastle game at home where he drops in super deep has time and time and time and then is able to do something with it like that's that's Ferguson in a nutshell yeah yeah um, with Welbeck being back, I think he's probably going to be a little bit more of a fox in the box, if you like, and um, being able to, I guess, use his experience to get somewhere where maybe Ferguson is still trying to figure it out. Um, but for once, it finally feels like when the the striker is not the issue. It, it's more okay. How do we get it to the striker, and how do we how do we get better at that? I think the winger situation I spoke about, um, but also just the central midfield as well, being able to to sort of figure that out. And the consistent rotations aren't helping. Of course, they're not. Um, frustrated figure is Ferguson. Obviously, he's not getting many touches at all. He's not getting a lot of chances, and um, but it's not through a lack of effort. The the heading thing with Ferguson's a bit weird, isn't it? Like he's not. Think about all the headed goals we're scoring lately. Well, they, they, it's just um, they were identical for Brentford and Burnley, right? Well, a Dinger and Hinshelwood, who yeah. who you expect to really it's, get up? It's like yeah, get. Well, the thing is, is that you put Ferguson in the middle, he's probably going to be bogged down by two or three defenders. Leaves the yeah. back post free, and the Dinger and Hinshelwood are there. Um, so it it's not 
there's there's obviously there's a method to the madness. I think the same thing you're seeing with Matoma at the moment is you double up on Matoma, you double up on Ferguson, it leaves other people free. Um, so it allows Hinshelwood, it allows Adingra to score, it allows Gross to put these balls into the box. It's almost like a sacrificial lamb, if you like, in the, you know, it, it's going to get rid of three defenders by putting Ferguson there. It just enables another person to score. Um, it's unfortunate because the numbers don't reflect that and, and you're seeing 10 or 11 touches per game for Evan Ferguson, but his his sheer presence at the moment is allowing other people to score. Well, we had Pedro has popped up a couple of times. What, who, when, when did you score that absolute monster header recently? Who was that against? Do you remember? The corner. Well, no, that was there was a there was one against Chelsea, wasn't there? Was it Forest where he just like came out of nowhere and just oh, blasted yeah, the header in? Yeah, great. Header. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like he's he's, but again, it's part of that maybe because of Ferguson's there and he's distracting. I I, I don't know, but. I'm, I think Ferguson came off at that game and that's how Pedro scored. So Pedro seems to be able to do it. I don't know. Ferguson's still trying to find his way there, isn't he? Yeah. Um, looks like fifth place is slowly drifting away from us uh, because Tottenham are comfortably 2 up against Newcastle. Uh, and yeah, but the, the continuing issues with uh, Newcastle and other European sides, um, they're just not having a good day of it. They're going to finish this round of games again on, on equal points to us. Um, and when you think of how much money they've spent over the last couple of years, uh, it's absolutely nuts really to think that, like you say, I, I'm, I'm very, very frustrated at taking two points from six against Sheffield United and Burnley. Uh, and yet here we are level on points with Newcastle um, who have spent so much more, have so much more squad depth, frankly, um, and are still struggling with it just to sheer volume of injuries, which rival our own. Um, Let's talk Marseille, though, real quick. Uh, they've had a good couple of days. Uh, they battered Leon at home, 3-0, in the middle of the week. It's a 3-1 uh, against Leon. And they are, yeah, yeah they are, I think they're bottom, aren't they? They're bottom, they are. yeah. They're rock bottom. Yeah. They fired up the man. It's horrible, yeah. Although they get, they're currently in like in uh, experiencing a new manager bounce because they're 2-0 up at home to Toulouse. So, uh, oh, that's, wow. Nothing that's to lose at that point, yeah. Yeah, who are also absolute crap, to be fair. Um, but Marseille now sitting in eighth place. Um, decent run of games lately. Uh, draws against Lille and Strasbourg and beating Rennes and, uh, yeah, Lyon. Um, they've got a game tonight uh, against Lorient and obviously then come travelling to us on a Thursday. Different outfit to the one that we were hoping to be playing against last time before they got the new manager bounce and give us a little, more, a little bit more issues. Um, what's the what's the thought here? They've had a couple of games in quick succession. Uh, you know, I think France get a, mid, a winter break, so they're kind of cramming in games early to be able to get that. So the fitness issue is going to be a bit of an issue for them as well. Um, but they played three five two in midweek, totally different to the system they played before. Uh, they're fully under Gattuso now. What's the thought process here? Who are you hoping to see start? Uh, what are you worried about? What are you excited about? Do you think we do you think we win? I hope we go for it. I, I want to see Veltman at right back again, please. Um and, and just have Gross and Gilmore in the middle would be lovely. Just to interrupt just, really quick, he was out yeah. on bereavement this this weekend. Oh, so. he was. Oh, okay. Who was? Veltman. Okay. Valid. Um, so if he if he's <laughs> if he's available to play, then I've, I would obviously love to see him there. Um, I think probably Dunk is he's there. Yeah, he is there. Um, 
just Gross and Gilmore in the middle would be lovely. Just uh, to shore up the midfield. If you're playing a three-five-two, you want something in that midfield. Um, but I just hope we go for it, right? There's there's nothing to lose here. Um, if you don't win, you're in the same position. So um, just have to go for it. Try and sort of break it down. They're going to make it hard. They they always do. Um, I just hope, yeah, we show a good account of ourselves. Uh, we are 100% winning this game. <laughs> uh, there is there is no doubt in my mind about this. Um, and and I think there's the, in my mind there's there's no there's no risk of the idea of not going for it. I mean, does it, when do we when do we not go for? We go for every bloody game at this point. Like it's just the that's just the way we play. Um, if you look at Marseille's away form, it's uh, pretty crap. So they have in the league when they played away. I'm going to list off their last few games: draw, loss, 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 draw, draw. Um, their away record is zero wins in the league uh, and three three draws, four losses. Uh, their home record is far better. Right, seven matches, five wins. They cannot play on the road. They are rubbish. Uh, they were able to go to Athens and get a win in Europe, which was impressive. They couldn't even beat Ajax at Amsterdam away. We are going to win this game clearly, and we're going to go top. That is my thought. I don't care who plays. Put anyone out there. Marseille rubbish. Oh, that's your fault now. All of it's your fault. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I actually think we will win. Um, it's my work Christmas party on Thursday night. It's the first game I've been missing all year, which means we'll dick them 3-0 and it'll be one of the best nights in Albion history. Uh, yes. I'll be sat at some shit work party. So that's absolutely how it's going to go down. <laughs> I'm going to counter out your just like desperately jinxing us over here with the fact that I just can't watch it. So it inevitably will be excellent. Um, all right, I think that's everything. Um, have we got anything else we want to talk about before we before we end? I don't think so. All right, superb. Well, we will be back next week. Uh, if you guys want to do a podcast Thursday, feel free. Uh, it's now Tottenham 3-0, by the way. <laughs> so Richarlison has a brace, by the way. That's how poor Newcastle are playing. Um, and we've got uh, Arsenal on the Sunday. Um, so I'll be there for that one. Looking forward to that. Two o'clock kickoff on the Sunday. Um, big two games. Uh, and then just a small, slightly small issue of Crystal Palace away, slightly before Christmas as well. Could, I so. want to add one last thing. I know I said I didn't have anything, but that home game on the 28th of December against Spurs is going to be fascinating. Like, really fascinating game because it could well be 7 7. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about that game. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how De Serbi lines up against Ange and vice versa. Uh, they're both very entertaining managers, so I'm, yeah, I like them both. All right, we'll be back next week to talk about two massive games, really, for the Albion, um, and have a wonderful week. Make sure you get your Christmas shopping done, by the way. It's 10th of December, figure it out. Yeah, you've got plenty of time. Don't do it yet. <laughs> Cheers, all. <laughs> Cheers.